Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading in the Gospel of Matthew as we meditate upon the uh, baptism of our Lord. You may be seated. We begin today with a word of prayer. Merciful Father, we give you thanks that you sent your Son into this world so that he might become one of us, one with us, and die for us so that we might be united to you for all of eternity. We pray today, Lord, that as we hear of the baptism of your Son, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word, and that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how has 2020 been for you so far? Has it been a great year? It's kind of hard to say at this point, I would guess. We've only been in this thing for about uh, two weeks. Though I will say, as I have been watching the news uh, the last two weeks, we can say this much about 2020. It's not boring, right? Like We're not going to be bored this year. If I make any prediction about 2020, it is that we will not have a boring year in this country. Now, I could be wrong about that. It might be a very boring year, which I, quite frankly, would be just fine with. Uh, it might be a very boring year, but who's to say? You can't really predict the future. That is the problem with the future. You cannot predict what is going to happen. And sometimes when we do try and predict what's going to happen, we make ourselves look kind of silly. I ran across an old email uh, this past week that had a list of failed predictions or sort of uh, guesses about the future that made some people look kind of silly. And I thought I would read a few of those to you today uh, that I got kind of a kick out of. Back in 1895, there was a gentleman by the name of Lord William Thomas Kelvin of the University of Glasgow and the president of the Royal Society of Edinburgh. He was asked what he thought about the viability of an airplane, and he said... Heavier than flying machines are impossible. Turns out, he was wrong. Next one. A guy named, uh, I'm not going to say this right, uh, Marichel Ferdinand uh, Falk, the French soldier and First World War commander and the chief of the Allied armies, predicted this, that airplanes are interesting toys, but of no military value. Someone should tell the military. That's very interesting. Uh, after turning down what he predicted was going to be a flop of a movie, uh, the actor Gary Cooper said this, I'm just glad it's uh, Clark Gable who will be falling on his face and gone with the wind, and not Gary Cooper. He was wrong. Uh, a guy by the name of David Sarnoff was trying to sell his associates on this new invention that he thought was going to make a lot of money, known as the radio, back in the 1920s. But his associates refused to invest because they said the wireless music box has no imaginable commercial value. Who would pay for a message sent to nobody in particular? Uh, this is my favorite one. In 1962, the Beatles, uh, they sent their demo tapes to a company called Decca Recording. And Decca Recording said uh, they refused. They turned down the Beatles and they said, we don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out. Um, my guess is that so whoever said that got fired pretty quickly. Uh, this is the last one. We'll do one more here. Uh, Ken Olson, president and chairman and founder of the Digital Equipment Corporation back in 1977, said this. There is no reason anybody would want a computer in their own home. 
he was wrong too. So much for predictions. These things, they were, they were just completely wrong. These people could not predict the future. And that's the problem with the future. We can't predict it. And it scares us, right? We try and control the future. We have our day planners and we have our calendars and we have our projections and we have all this stuff laid out for us so that we feel like we can control the future. We can control what lies ahead. But the reality is we simply cannot. And that scares us. And oftentimes when we try and do it, it makes us look kind of silly. And so I wonder today, as we come to our reading from the gospel, if John wasn't worried that he was going to kind of look a little silly when Jesus came to him to be baptized. Because John had been out there sort of predicting what this new Messiah was going to do, what this Savior of the Jews was going to come and do. He was predicting this Messiah who would show up and who was going to come with all the wrath of hell behind him. He predicted this way. He said, the one coming after me is going to baptize you with fire in the Holy Spirit. He said, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John was expecting real fireworks, a real wrath of God kind of messiah. A guy who was going to show up and take all those who are wicked and evil in this world and throw them off into the fires of hell. And all the holy and righteous would be rewarded and made to be glorious. And so John was expecting this. And then one day Jesus shows up. And he's not full of wrath and fire at all. He doesn't come down to condemn a single sinner that he sees. Instead he shows up in the place of sinners. In a baptism for repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And this really wasn't what John was expecting at all. I mean, who could have predicted this? This was on nobody's Messiah day planner, except for God's. So what's going on here? Is John wrong? Did he misunderstand the prophecies he was to give altogether? Did he misunderstand Christ completely? Well, no. But what is going on here is rather fascinating. That when Jesus first shows up seen in his ministry, when he comes to be baptized, he's showing that in his first coming there, he's not coming to condemn sinners, but to be identified with them. Later on, he will say something along these lines. It's not the righteous who, uh, it's, it's not the sick who need a doctor. It, wait, I got that verse entirely wrong because sick do need the doctor. It's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus has come to save sinners. Not to send them underneath the wrath of God for their sins, but to stand in their place so that he might take the wrath of God for their sins on their behalf. Jesus comes and he stands in solidarity with sinners in their baptism. Not because he needs to be baptized to forgive his sins, but because we need our sins forgiven. And he goes to that water, standing in the place of sinners, showing that he comes to be one of us so that he might represent us as our substitute on the cross where he will die for the sins of the world. I mean, in a certain sense, he does come bringing the wrath of God with him, only he comes to take the wrath of God onto himself, to suffer for the sins of the world. 
And John's not entirely wrong. Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. That day of judgment is coming yet in the future. John is not wrong about that. Jesus is just telling him it's just not yet. The day is not yet. Right now, this is what needs to take place to fulfill all righteousness. For now, Jesus says, I've come to bring forgiveness. Forgiveness for sinners. That's what happened. And this is good news for you and for me. We know know that Jesus has done this for you and for me. Because when we went to our own baptism. And when we were baptized, the Jesus who was baptized in the water of the Jordan met us in our own baptism to deliver to us the forgiveness of our sins, to give to us the very thing that he won for us on the cross. When you were baptized, Jesus promised you the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of everlasting life. And it's even more than this. He united himself to you, and he united you to himself in his death and in his life. Listen to how St. Paul says this again from our reading from Romans today. Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self, that old sinful nature inside of us, was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. In other words, and this is really quite something, in other words, when you were baptized, you died. Your old sinful nature died. Jesus met you in the water of that baptism and it was so cute and you were probably a cuddly little baby or you were an adult and it was this wonderful triumphant experience except Jesus found your sinful nature there and said hello and then he drowned it and killed it which is really a little aggressive but that's what the text says. Okay. Jesus took the sinful nature and got rid of it and then raised you up with the promise of eternal life which means eternal life has begun for you. Eternal life is yours because Jesus Christ baptized you and made you his own. In his baptism, Jesus identifies with sinners so that in your baptism, you are identified with Christ, crucified and given a new life. You and I who are dead in our trespasses and sins are alive because Jesus has baptized us, washed our sins away, given us his Holy Spirit, and now given us this promise that the smile of God is upon you for all of eternity. Wonderful. We're trying to teach our kids this truth when when they were younger uh, by giving them a little sort of uh, nursery rhyme kind of song to help them get this truth into their heads uh, that they were baptized beloved children of God. And and a friend of ours in Arizona taught us this song that I'm going to teach you today to help you sort of remember the good news of your baptism. And we're going to sing it together, but I'll sing it first, then you can join with me the second time through. It goes like this. I am baptized, happy day. All my sins are washed away. God looked down on me and smiled. I am now his own dear child. And this is good news that baptism saves us because if God smiled upon us because we could hit the right notes, I would be in a great deal of trouble. So here's the deal. We're all going to do this together. I am baptized, happy day. All my sins are washed away. God looked down on me and smiled. I am now his own dear child. Sing that with me. Ready? Here we go. 
I am baptized, happy day. All my sins are washed away. God looked down on me and smiled. I am now his own dear child. That's a good, good job. It's just wonderful stuff to realize that when you are baptized, God has made you a promise to forgive your sins and give you eternal life. Baptism is a promise. It's not a symbol. It's not some ceremony we go through to make grandma happy. It's not something we do for pictures of cute babies crying. It's not some moment in our lives where we dedicate our hearts to God. No, it is a promise. A sacramental, physical, wet promise from God. A promise wherein Jesus Christ says, Here I have crucified you with me. And I have raised you to a new life. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are now a child of God for whom I have died. You are a sinner forgiven, a saint promised eternal life. And this gives us hope as we face the future. Because we cannot predict the future. We cannot predict what is going to happen this year. We cannot predict what's going to happen in the years to come. We simply cannot know. But whatever comes, we do know this, that you are baptized, happy day, and all your sins are washed away eternally. So that we have confidence no matter what we face. Like I said, we cannot predict the future, but I think we can say with some level of confidence the future might look something like this. If we are to try and predict the future, we should speak in grand generalities. And we find such things given to us like in the book of Ecclesiastes. In the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes tells us exactly what the future will hold. It tells us that we will face any kind of time or season under the sun. It goes something like this. In the future, it will look like this. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. Time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Let me add this. There will be other times as well. There will be times of sin in your lives. There will be times of guilt and shame in the future. And yet, in all of those, there will be times of forgiveness. There will be times of temptation and there will be times of of victory there will be times of joy and there will be times of pain but whatever time you face in the future you face it as one who is baptized by jesus christ so that nothing in all of creation can separate you from the love of god that is yours in christ jesus jesus who in his baptism identified with you took your sins died as your substitute and rose again to be your baptizing lord who crucified you and raised